Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough. This is the podcast Walking with Dante. You know that by this point, surely. You also know that we have walked all the way to Purgatorio, and we are in the middle of the second narrative sequence in Canto 2 of Purgatorio. We're at lines 88 through 105 of this passage. Things are about to get a lot weirder. I was just thinking about what's already happened in Purgatorio. I'm always thinking about Dante, but I was thinking about this and thought, wow, I mean, from Cato to the reed that grows back to the angel with the boat to the souls getting off and not knowing where to go to this guy that Dante has tried to hug but can't, his arms going through the spirit— So much weirdness has already gone down, and we're about to have a lot more. This is my English translation of lines 88 through 105 of Canto 2 of Purgatorio. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can print it off, read along, drop a comment there. We can continue the discussion about this passage. Otherwise, we are off with this soul that Dante was not able to hug. The soul replied, Just as much as I loved you when I was in my mortal body, so I still love you when let go from it. So sure, I'll stick around. But you? Where are you headed? My Casela, I said. I make this journey to get back to the spot where I am right now. But how come so much time has been taken from you? And he said to me, Nothing outrageous happened to me. If the one who picks up whom he will, when he will, refused me passage so many times. For his will is made by a will that is righteous. Sure enough, for three months he has peacefully taken all others who wanted to step aboard. And so I came back to that spot near the sea where the Tiber's water turns to salt at the right moment. And he mercifully gathered me in. Back to that river's mouth, he has now directed his wings. For that's where all those congregate who don't fall down to Acheron. Well, there's Karen again. Acheron, we are never far from Karen at the opening of Purgatorio. We have a lot to talk about in this podcast. I want to talk about this Casela figure, who this is. Uh, It's important to kind of nail this down a little bit and the problems with defining who this is. I want to talk about uh, dating problems in the text. We want to, of course, talk about the ghost story. What? Shades can wander around before they're taken to the afterlife? What? And then we want to talk about the most most important thematic of love. In this episode of the podcast, I'm not going to necessarily do the passage in order of how it lies on the page. So let me just start through and get to the word of this person, the name of this person, and then carry on from there. The passage starts, he replied, just as much as I loved you when I was in my mortal body, so I still love you when let go from it. So sure, I'll stick around. Remember the pilgrim that I'd ask him to kind of hang back and explain himself. Now, this figure, Casela, says, but you, where are you headed? And then the Pilgrim Dante replies, Casela mio, my Casela. This is so a 
affectionate. It's so intimate. It's such great friendship between the two. Let's start out with the question of who is Casela? And that's actually a harder question to answer than you might think. There are essentially two manuscript sources by which we can attempt to pin this figure down. Now, you realize this is clearly not a figure like Frederick, the wonder of the world, Stupermundi. This is a regular run-of-the-mill guy, and as you know, 700 years later, records are difficult. But there are two places where scholars have dug up essences of maybe who this Casella is. One is a manuscript that is in the Vatican. It identifies Casella as the composer who wrote the music for texts by Lemo of Pistoian. This fellow will eventually sing in the text. So is that Arcasela? Maybe. And there's a second document. We have a document in Siena, a legal document. Uh, well, dare we say it, a police document <laughs> from Siena, dated July 13th, 1282. And it records the arrest of one Casella for essentially violating curfew, for wandering around the streets of Siena at night. Most likely, this is a charge of drunkenness. It doesn't have to be. They could be arresting you just because you're violating curfew. Often, these arrests are made for drunken behavior. <laughs> that that might make you a musician right there, right? <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, the, we have this Casella arrested. Here's the question, and it, this is the real problem. Are either of those Caselas the same one as the Casella in this text. I mean, this guy's going to end up being a bit of a musician. And some people think this guy does come from Siena. So there's tangential connections. The problem is literary critics, and I'm now going to uh, diss my entire field. Literary critics are prone to jumping on manuscript evidence like this and claiming it as proof of something. But it's hard to see sometimes that this is direct proof. I mean, Tessela is not a common name in central Italy, but it's not an unknown name in central Italy. Is this the documentary evidence of this fellow? It could be, but you can't put your your weight on it. This is <laughs> this is not uh, I don't know. This is not asserted fact. Columbus sailed the ocean blue in fourteen hundred ninety two. It's not asserted fact that we could set our weight down on. A lot of the early commentators are very eager to fill in all the details about Casella. They all have different stories. Some of them claim he's from Florence, some from Pistoia, well, that would uh, jive with that Vatican record. Some from Siena, that would jive with that Sienese arrest record. Uh, some go on, many of the early commentators go on to invent complete stories about Dante and Casella's friendship. Uh, one of the most common that gets repeated through commentary is by Benvenuto da Imola, and he claims that when Dante would be uh, overwrought with either love or the task of writing that Dante would seek out consolation from Casella and Casella would play music for him to soothe his soul. The problem is that there's just no way to ascertain that kind of biography 
biographical evidence from someone living so far away from Dante in the Middle Ages. I mean, yes, yes, Benvenuto is an early commentator, but that's still a ways away from Dante. It's still going to be murky. And I want to talk at the end of the podcast about why maybe the murkiness is important. But let's press on and talk about some dating problems inside this passage. Dante the Pilgrim says to Casella, I make this journey to get back to the spot where I am right now. Now, this seems to finally and officially fulfill Karen's prophecy at Inferno 3, lines 91 through 93, where when Dante tries to get in Karen's boat, Karen says, oh, no, you can't get in this boat. You have to go by another boat, a lighter boat. So we seem to see the fulfillment here. Dante is saying... This is where I'm headed. (laughs) You talk about hubris. I'm headed to purgatory when I die. I'm making this journey to return to this very spot. Then Dante asks, how come it took so much time for you to get here? When did Casella die? Well, you'll notice that the text never clears this problem up. All we know is the pilgrim knows that Casella has died. And the pilgrim is a little shocked to find Casella here. We'll talk about why that shock is in a minute, but let's pass on. Casella then says, nothing outrageous has happened to me. Listen, nothing bad happened to me. If the one who picks up whom he will, when he will, refused me passage so many times, uh, for his will is made by a will that is righteous. This is, uh, what do I want to say, a reference, an echo of the Aeneid. Aeneid, book 6, lines 313 through 316. Apparently, and let me explain this, apparently this angel who takes people to purgatory takes who he will, when he will. So he kind of decides, you guys come and you guys come. But apparently he leaves others behind back there where the Tiber, the river Tiber, the Tiber's water turns to salt, where it kind of hits the Mediterranean. Apparently at that port, at that place, this angel often doesn't take some of the souls that are there. Interesting because in the Aeneid, we find out that Karen won't take some of the souls to the afterlife at that point in the 6, lines 313 through 316. So what we can draw from this is that in Virgil's epic tragedy, (laughs) the Aeneid tragedy as Dante would see it, meaning lofty, epic as we now see it, in Virgil's the Aeneid, Charon discriminates amongst those he takes across to the other world. In Dante's world... Karen doesn't seem to discriminate. He seems to not be able to fit them all in his boat because we're told that they keep coming in waves to the shore of Acheron. But the angel is the one who does the discriminating. So Dante has made a change from Virgil. It's not Karen who decides who goes and who doesn't. Karen just seems to fill his boat up, go across, come back, fill it up again. This case, it's an angel who does that kind of you, you, you that Karen does in the Aeneid. That is so fascinating a change and indicates to us that Dante is working to rework the Aeneid into his poem. I'll tell you something else that's fascinating about this, and this is also all part of a dating problem, is that reference to Aeneid 6, 313 through 316 and Karen choosing who gets in his boat. I find this fascinating. It wasn't first noticed until eight 
1894 in a commentary by a Giacomo Boletto. That is just fascinating to me. So you think about how long the comedy's been around in 1894, and it takes that long for someone to catch the reference to the Aeneid. The comedy is still being uncovered even as we speak. So let's go on with our dating problems. He says, sure enough, for three months, he has peacefully taken all others who wanted to step aboard. And then he comes back and he takes Casella. A lot of people have made a great deal out of this. And it's important to think about this for a minute. If, in fact, three months ago was the time in which he started taking people aboard his boat, that would push us back to Christmas of 1299. And that's actually important. We want to talk about that more. All of the redeemed souls gather at a spot in Rome. They gather where the Tiber's River dumps into the Mediterranean. And this angel (laughs) picks some up and leaves others behind, which leads us to our ghost story. Casella says, nothing outrageous happened to me if the one who picks up whom he will, when he will, refuse me passage so many times, for his will is made by a will that is righteous. Sure enough, for three months, he has peacefully taken all others who wanted to step aboard. So we have to kind of infer several things out of this passage. One, this angel apparently, as I said, takes the ones he wants at any given moment. But two... Casella himself seems to hang back. Apparently, three months ago, the angels started taking everybody, and everybody could get aboard, but Casella still hung out and hung back for three months before he got in the boat. This means that Casella could have died several years earlier. Listen, if uh, that uh, Sienese arrest record is from 1282, well, then Casella may have died, who knows, 1285, 1284, 1289. But we do know that once the angel started saying, everybody come on board, that means that for three months, Casella still said, no, I don't want to. I'm going to hang back here. All of which means there are clearly ghosts among the living. There are clearly redeemed souls who still hang out in this world who don't get in the boat. Imagine an angel says, get in my boat, and you go, no, thanks. I I think I'll wait for the next go. That is so (laughs) fascinating. Why did the angel refuse to transport Casella? No clue. And actually, I love this. I love the murkiness of this. We don't know why this angel for a long time said, no, you can't get in the boat. And then was it out of spite when the angel said, everybody aboard? Casella said, no, thanks. I'll wait. I'll, I'll come back. Here's what we can say. Boniface VIII does issue his plenary indulgence for those who make the pilgrimage to Rome. We talked about this back in Inferno. It's part of the dating issues with Inferno. And Boniface VIII made his plenary indulgence retroactive to Christmas of 1299, which would be three months earlier. So... Does that mean that when Boniface VIII, Dante's hated archenemy pope, when he issued his indulgence, even if 
he was a hated pope. It still had some kind of effect because at that point, the angel had to take everybody who wanted to go. But apparently some people don't want to go, which is fascinating. No other soul is affected by plenary indulgences or indulgences of any kind in all of comedy. In fact, given Dante's notion of the human will, we might surmise, and I'm going to underline this loud, might surmise that Dante took a dim view of indulgences of all sorts. But in this case, does this mean that this indulgence somehow changed those who get to purgatory. It apparently has no effect on the souls in purgatory because we never hear about this indulgence again that Boniface VIII issued. But in this one case, are we being cued to that? And if that's the case, here's what's really fascinating about it. That is, it starts out Three months ago that the angel takes everybody, that's December 25th, 1299, which means that Casella got in the boat to come here three months ago. He got in the boat to come here to Purgatory on March 25th, 1300, which is the day that Dante starts his journey down Inferno. So here are two souls that start a journey on the same day. Casella starts across the ocean with the angel from Ostia, Italy, and Dante starts down. One soul is going across the globe. One soul is going down and through the globe, but they essentially start their journey on the same day to meet up here. I find that so cool. I can't even stand it. No wonder the pilgrim says, Casella mio. No wonder there's so much affection between the two of them. It's almost as if they were destined to meet at this point. Which brings us to the question of love in the passage. Casella starts it out. Just as much as I loved you when I was in my mortal body, so I still love you when let go of it. This is the theme, love. And it's stated out right here. And I think it's put in the Casella episode so that we see officially how big an episode this is. There is so much revolutionary about this episode. We find out that souls can wander around <laughs> Earth, around at least the hemispheric part that we know of Earth, before they get in the angel's boat. We find out that they have to cross the water, you know, just die and get to purgatory. You have to actually be taken there in a boat, we find out it's kind of amazing, right? Don't you generally think that when people die, their soul just gets to heaven somehow? No, there's got to be a physical transport of these souls, which leads to all kinds of corporeality problems again. I'm not going there, but it does. So there's so much revolutionary bits going around this passage that we shouldn't be shocked at the word love here because it is the driving force of purgatory. Where does Dante get this idea of love? Why is it such a driving force in the universe? Several places. One from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 
13, you know, the famed uh, love is patient, love is long, you know, the thing that people read at marriage ceremonies from St. Paul about what love is, the greatest of these is love. Of course, Dante gets part of his theology of love from there, but he also gets it from the troubadour poets in Provence who make love an appropriate subject matter of poetry, true sexual carnal love, but it is still love. And we should also say that there is in Dante's day in the 1200s and early 1300s, the growing notion of civic, civil, and canon law. Part of the very heart of civic, civil, and canon law across the West is marriage, love. Marriage becomes part of the legal code, not just something that happens when families want to, I don't know what, co-mingle their assets, or not just something the king forces on you, you go marry her or you go marry him. Not that. Love becomes a contractual arrangement in civic, civil, and canon law. This great change of this much more legalistic, you live in it now, legalistic society is codifying around human bonds, and it's trying to give an ineffable, transcendental significance to the legal bonds of marriage, love. All of these things are playing into Dante's increasing notion of why love is central. And at the same time all of this is happening, the cult of courtly love, this medieval idea that sexual love is outside of ceremonial marital love. The cult of courtly love is definitely beginning to wane. And part of the reason it's waning is because love is finding its way into the basis of canon civic and civil law about marriage. And so courtly love is dying out. All of this leads us to this moment with Dante in which he is thinking so much about what love is that essentially he takes the middle third of his masterwork comedy and devotes it to an exploration of love. And of course, this sequence is a perfect explanation of that, but it's a crucial moment. It's a significant moment. We feel the shifts going on around us. We feel the myth-making going on around us. An angel, a boat, souls hanging around at the place where the Tiber dumps out into the Mediterranean. Souls wandering around and refusing to get in the boat. Apparently, you can refuse the angel. We feel all of this happening around us. Ghosts apparently walk around amongst us who just don't want to get in the angel's boat. No thanks. I think I'll stick around here a bit longer. Even when the angel starts to say, all aboard, it's all such big myth-making, and yet, this is what I love, it's a crucial moment, but it remains so unclear. When did Casella die? Who is Casella exactly? Who is this figure, and what is he to Dante? Casella mio, that sounds extraordinarily tight as a bond. Let's to speculate for a second. What are Dante the Poet's intentions here? And this is pure speculation. Don't you dare put your weight on this. This is pure speculation. Does Dante want here, 
early on in Purgatorio to establish the aura of mystery. Does Dante want some of these questions unanswered? Because we are approaching, a long way off, but we're approaching the divine, the essence of mystery. Does Dante want to set it up so that certain questions remain, even this early on, unanswered? And we have to become comfortable with the unanswerability. Wow, is that a word? Sure. The unanswerability of certain things. Dante's setting it up as camaraderie and love from the very get-go. There is a camaraderie that happens, and we're going to discover that the thematic of camaraderie is going to become increasingly important in Purgatorio. Dante's going to pick up additional guides and additional fellow travelers over the course of Purgatorio. Fascinating, right? So the theory of comradeship, of camaraderie, the whole essence of friendship is central to what happens in this second canticle. And finally, maybe there's a comment here, too, about poetry's essence. That is, here's a figure who we're going to discover is a good singer and a musician. Here's a fellow who is involved with poetry. Dante meets him as the first person he meets in purgatory. Cato's not a person so much as a gatekeeper, but the first redeemed soul from Dante's own world that he meets. This is setting us up for the great thematic of purgatorio, which is it's about art. If it's about love, it's about art. Oh, I got so much more to say about that ahead. But if it's about art, it's about love. And if it's about love, it's about art. And perhaps for understanding that art is construction. Casella is finally not exactly definable. When did he die? Who is this commoner that Dante meets who seems he seems so bound to, so affectionate toward her, to hug him? He's then Casella smiles at the pilgrim. Who is this? We don't actually know, which leaves it at the level of, to use the Coleridgean phrase, the willing suspension of disbelief. We have to let the poet have the poet's own way without being able to nail it down. Now, I realize a thousand commentators in the Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages and the Renaissance want to nail this down. But what if we don't? What if we keep it a little strange and mysterious? What do these souls do when they wander around without getting in the angel's boat? Where do they go? Who do they talk to? Do they have any influence on me? Do they come in my house? Do they knock on my door? (laughs) Can I interact with them? I know I'm being ridiculous, but all of this is left just open in the text. What if the openness is the point? Let's read this passage one more time. It's so fascinating. Purgatorio Canto 2, lines 88 through 105. The shade replied, Just as much as I loved you when I was in my mortal body, so I still love you when let go from it. So sure, I'll stick around, but you? Where are you headed? My Casella, I said. I make this journey to get back to the spot where I am right now. But how come so much time has been taken from you? And he said to me, nothing outrageous happened to me if the one who picks up whom he will, when he will, refuse me passage so many times, for his will is made by a will that is righteous. Sure enough, for three months, he's peacefully taken all others who wanted to step aboard. 
And so I came back to that spot near the sea where the Tiber's water turns to salt at the right moment, and he mercifully gathered me in. Back to that river's mouth, he has now directed his wings, for that's where all those congregate who don't fall down to Acheron. Oh, it's about to get a lot weirder. (laughs) The next passage is even crazier in so many ways. It's going to cause so many interpretive stumbling blocks for us. It's just fantastic. So many questions are getting asked, and they don't necessarily have answers. If you don't like ambiguity, mm, brace yourself for what's ahead. If you like things to be nailed down, woo. Purgatory is going to be a hard climb for you and for me too, because I like things to be nailed down. Come back to this podcast and be with me in the quagmire that is Purgatory. (laughs) Subscribe to this podcast, rate it. If you don't mind, write a comment. That would be fabulous. And we are going on in Canto 2 to finish out this incredible episode. In the next episode of Walking with Tante, I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you then. (laughs) 